Today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about the most American car, Tesla's new supercomputers, Volvo announcing a new Gigafactory, and how tech giants are driving renewable energy and development. And as usual, I'm joined by Ricky Roy. How you doing, Ricky? I'm doing well, Matt. I'm doing well. This is my first full week of being full-time. We were just talking before the show. Um, still trying to get everything in order as far as like our, you know, our, our cadence and stuff. So I actually don't have a video this week, but I know you did. What was your yes. video this week? My video this week was about fungus, because who doesn't like a good story about fungus? But mycelium no one, and how... No one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> about how it's a good replacement for plastic. It was a... When I went down that rabbit hole, it was a lot of fun. Everybody who's watching this, go check that out. I actually have that uh, saved for later. I got I to gotta watch it. I haven't seen it yet. But this is one of those stories that is wildly fascinating to me. We got to figure out a way to make something that decomposes after yep. like five years or two years. And we, not this madness that we have today. So yeah. that's fantastic. Cool. Um, also, new time format, right? 11 o'clock. I've already seen two comments, one from Rui and one from Rick Garland, who are saying, uh, wow, there's, it's bright outside in the EU, and I finally got to sit in one, on one of these. So that was part of the reason why we wanted to do this. So, and we try to blast the new timing and stuff, but let's see how it goes, and, and hopefully uh, it's still as fun as it, it was before at 5 o'clock. Yeah, so moving right along to kind of our highlight story. This one um, might potentially be surprising to some of you, although I ran a poll and it didn't surprise very many of our viewers, but um, Tesla Model 3 is the most American-made car, a new study shows. So why is this important? Well, we there's people who... The second most voted, by the way, was the Ford F-150, which people think is really American. But what what's really hard to understand with some of this stuff is Every component is made somewhere, assembled somewhere. The parts are sourced from places. And so, like, for example, on some of these big trucks, like maybe the transmission comes from somewhere else. And it represents a huge number of the parts on a car. So uh, EVs in comparison are, are, are interesting because, like, the motors, Tesla makes them in-house. They're, they're built right there at their factory. The batteries are assembled at the Gigafactory in Nevada. The assembly all happens here. It's an incredibly high percentage American car. So before we keep going on about it, let me show you this list. This is the top 10 most American-made cars. Number one is the Model 3. Um, interesting why the Ford Mustang is slated between the 3 and the Y. I'm, it makes me immediately think what's in the Y that isn't in the 3 that is made somewhere else. I'm, I'm curious. If anybody knows the answer to that question, uh, let us know. So the Ford Mustang... Kind of surprised me, actually. Jeep Cherokee, good old-fashioned American car, Chevy Corvette, which I kind of have always known as very American. And then there's tons of Hondas. And so this is all part of like their initiative they had maybe 20 or 30 years ago. When Honda made their first SUV and it was a hit, they realized nobody else wants SUVs or trucks. So if we build these, why don't we just build them right where we're going to sell them? So these are made in Alabama. So they made a plant there. I think Honda or maybe it's Toyota has a plant in Tennessee as well. So it's not always intuitive that these Japanese car companies are actually more made in America than some of the American companies. We joked about uh, the Ford, Ford built their Mach-E in, in Mexico. So this is a global world. It's not always that easy to pin down. And yeah, these Teslas built in California, which probably nobody thought would be even be possible, but the most American cars you can buy. So if you're ever having a conversation over a beer with your friends and you're talking about being a patriot in America and all that kind of stuff, yeah. buy a Tesla. It's something that's funny to me because it's like I've experienced a lot of people saying to me directly of like, 
you know, basically bad mouthing Tesla or EVs because they're not American made and they're going to buy their Ford F-150s. It's like, do you not understand where the Model 3 is designed, built, <laughs> manufactured? It's like, it's here in the U.S. It's an incredibly American made car. Uh, I think it's a the supply chain. A lot of people don't understand how the supply chain works. Sometimes assembled in America doesn't mean it's completely American made because parts can come from all over the world. Um, and vice versa. Parts can come from here, but they get assembled in Mexico or whatever. So it's like, it's a global economy and it makes things very complicated. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. So kind of surprising. It kind of shows you got to read into the data a little bit more than you think. Don't just things at face value because sometimes this stuff, especially in a global world, is really hard to figure out. And this, if, are you ready to move on to the next story? Sure. This ties into the next one, which is... Also surprising because this story is about Tesla unveils their new supercomputer, the fifth most powerful computer in the world, to self-trained driving AI. Now, this isn't about Amazon or Google you know, or Microsoft or the companies you think of as building <laughs> machines like this. This is a car company. Well, they're probably not a car company. And this is, when people say that, I think this is what jumps out to me as why that is the case. So just looking at some of these specs on this thing... Um, 720 nodes, uh, 1.8 exoflops, which is a number that I don't even think I can fathom. Uh, no. <laughs> um, this thing is made to basically say, look, all these Teslas on the road are, are recording data. Currently, a lot of it we have to just dump. Maybe we just look, we just take one in 10, one in 100, and the rest we've got to dump because we don't have the bandwidth to process it all and make sense of it. Also, a lot of the labeling, a lot of the stuff that goes to machine learning training is manual. Again, that means that the human operator, the number of humans you can employ will be your limiting factor. But you build something like this, and the next thing you know, you're able to self-train models, and um, the, the level of advancement is going to be hockey stick from here. So this is early. I don't think we have that much data, honestly, and I think some of this stuff might actually uh, change a little bit because Tesla has announced they're going to have an AI day. And you, you can be sure that Dojo and some of this compute cluster performance and in-house supercomputing is going to be part of what they talk about. So yeah. um, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think about this? This It's funny because a viewer just tweeted at me, just I think it was yesterday, saying, what's the biggest software company in the world? How would you compare like Apple to Tesla? Or he was just naming all the big tech companies you typically think of with Tesla. And I was like, it's a little different because they're more of an engineering company. And then we're talking about this story, which is, oh, no, they're very much a software and, you know, computer company. They are a tech company. And this is just one of the proofs of that. And just for comparison, it's like an exaflop is one quintillion floating point operations per second. My brain oh, it's so, it's so has trouble wrapping it. my head around what that <laughs> actually means. It's just, it's crazy fast. And I was curious because I was wanted to look at, like, what are the top supercomputers in the world. And I found like the number one is uh, Fugaku in Japan. Then there's one uh, from IBM uh, called Summit in Oak Ridge uh, National Laboratory. Sierra, which is in the National Laboratory in California. Uh, there's one in China called the Sunway. And then there's one from NVIDIA called the Celine. And I think this Tesla one is the probably edging out the NVIDIA one. And it's just kind of funny that when you just look at the the list of it's like it's all research laboratories, IBM and Nvidia, and now Tesla <laughs> is in that group. It's like it's a car company. It's like not, it's not a car company. It's a technology company, 
and they're clearly doing things that no other car company is doing. And this is, it's so cool. I just find this endlessly cool. Yeah, I think what we should probably do is kind of dig into this a little more in depth and we will do that after the AI day. Until yeah. then, I think this is just kind of a little bit of a teaser to say big things are happening. We kind of knew they were, but this is part of the first time they've kind of made it public. So definitely exciting. Okay, so Volvo, we've talked about this from other companies like, you know, VW and GM. Well, Volvo is building a 50 gigawatt hour battery gigafactory. Um, and they're doing it with partnership with Northvolt. And Northvolt seems to be really kind of becoming the de facto standard for battery suppliers in Europe, which is for me, one of the most fascinating tidbits from this, because they're also partnered with VW and BMW. So now they've also got Volvo added to their roster. And the one thing about this, that even though it's as cool as it is that they're building out a 50 gigawatt plant, it's not gonna really start production until 2026. So it's still five years away from when this will become a thing. But Volvo is already gonna be starting to buy 15 kilowatt hours from the uh, Northvolt factory that's in um, Sweden the one that already exists. So they're gonna be getting their immediate supplies from that existing factory. And then over the next five years, they'll be building this new factory that's gonna scale it up 50 gigawatts more. So this is, this is another one of those signs that we're all looking for when you're talking about looking at what traditional car companies are doing to transition to EVs. And one of the first things I always look for is what is their battery supply chain? And here we go with Volvo, kind of starting to plant their flag in the sand and saying, okay, we got to build out some gigafactories of our own to be the master of our own destiny. Northvolt was, was founded by some former Tesla employees. So there's, there's that kind of connection in the industry. And yeah, they've, they've proven to be the kind of the de facto go-to player uh, in, in the EU. I'm almost wondering if there's like regulatory reasons for why that would be. Like, is there some incentive to buy from a factory that sources materials and labor and production in the EU as opposed to like LG or some of the companies in Korea or Japan that potentially you'd be importing and, and tariffs and stuff? I know tariffs are much higher there in the EU than they are in other places. So it's interesting because to your point, the one drawback here is that you're not buying like ready capacity, you're building capacity. So I think some of these Northvolt partnerships might look like the uh, the Gigafactory with VW building a big plant and then having stations and having the Northvolt teams inside of them, inside of their building out capacity for them. I mean, I think some of that will probably still be kind of um, established, but it seems like they've got their, their stuff figured out, which to me is interesting. They're a newer company and you don't hear this much fanfare about newer companies that are building batteries and getting this many this much interest in, in people to build contracts at, for future production. Um, so I think they're they're clearly like a leader. They're, they're some, they got some secret sauce or they've got something that people see and they think this is the way to go, yep. which is cool. I, I'd love to tour their factories or talk to their, talk to their teams. It should definitely be a, a company I reach out to, but um, super cool. And I, I think what we're seeing is the, the, the foundational piece for all these makers going forward, which is, if you just buy batteries off the shelf, you're always going to be the first one stuck when anything mm -hmm. happens. Your cars will be the ones that are shuttered. Your plants will be the ones that are closed when anything happens. So um, I'm glad to see more companies doing it. The timetables are kind of long, but things take time. I, there, there's, probably a, there's still probably some R&D and stuff to happen and everything else too. So it's understandable, yeah. but a really cool story.
So this is Florida's governor has just locked Florida into kind of a fossil fuel future. What they did is they passed a law recently that will prevent local jurisdictions like cities and towns from deciding what they want to do with their energy resources. So they're preventing from local communities from doing things like banning fracking or from doing 100% renewables and basically banning natural gas or anything like that. They, the governor uh, DeSantis of Florida, basically his excuse for doing this was to leave it to the free market and not to allow the uh, local policies to dictate what's going to happen. He wanted to leave it to the free market and consumers. So this is actually going against what a lot of cities in Florida have already done. There were several cities like um, Tallahassee, Gainesville, Orlando, Miami Beach. They've all made commitments to go to 100% clean energy. And this basically undoes all of that. But what I found fascinating about this story was that it's all, even though this is not the greatest, um, there is movement in the utility market that is naturally going to renewables. More and more um, utilities are actually transitioning to solar and wind. And in fact, Florida itself has um, become, they're, the sun, they're known as the sunshine, sunshine state here, and they're actually living up to that name now, which is really fascinating. F Florida is already kind of becoming the the southeast of the country, you can see right here, Florida, just over the past couple of years, has taken a commanding lead with how much solar it's rolling out. And this is grid-scale commercial solar. This is not uh, rooftop solar. So it's funny that he passed this rule to ban local utilities from making changes when the utilities have already kind of are starting to make their call about transitioning to renewables. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Whenever we introduce laws, it sounds like a good idea, but there's always going to be like unintended consequences. And the reality is, yeah, solar and wind will win when they win on economics. And we're pretty much already there. I'm doing a video about how I've had my panels for 10 years. And I was shocked to see these graphs of how the cost per you know kilowatt hour of, of coal, natural gas, nuclear, how they've changed over time. Nuclear has actually gotten more expensive. I think it might be regulatory stuff or aging plants and things like that. But natural gas and coal, and then you've got like solar and wind, which have just completely <laughs> undercut them on, on cost. So this is largely a, yeah, I think it's kind of, it appeals to his, his conservative base a little bit. But as far as like what it actually will do, it doesn't mean you can't go solar. It just means that you can't ban cars, which really, I mean, this doesn't bother me that much because I do think that they'll win on their pure merit alone. So yeah, the natural, you know, natural gas, companies, the Florida Natural Gas Association clearly is very in favor of this bill because 70% of the state's electricity comes from natural gas, right? And it's a huge amount of their carbon uh, emissions and stuff. So uh, I think Bong Hollywood mentioned like lobbyists and money and policies. Like, yeah, look, that, that's all there. But what I think is different now is you're not, you can't stop the force that is nuclear, or sorry, solar and wind um, on cost. And that's when we uh, will win. Okay, so the next story is Amazon and other tech giants are racing to buy up the renewable energy. And this is related to what we were just talking about, which is that tech companies are actually driving a lot of the investment and development into re renewables like gigantic wind farms and solar farms. Uh, the data centers take up about 1% of worldwide electricity usage, which is kind of significant when you think about it. And their willingness to do PPA agreements, which is basically you're prepaying for all of your energy needs, 
they're willing to pay for it years in advance at fixed rates. So they're paying millions and millions of dollars up front for energy, which is enough money to seed the funding to help with the development of these very expensive projects to build out wind and solar. So it's it's the dollar value is already there. And so these tech companies are all racing. It's like a mad dash. There was actually a quote that I thought was really funny from Michael Terrell, who's the director of energy at Google. He said, it's almost like a stampede for clean energy. So you have Amazon, who is the largest company that's doing this here in the United States. You've got Google, Apple. Um, they're all having this kind of worldwide impact of just snapping up and basically just seed money for these huge facilities that are being built out. Um, what's your take on this? Yeah, it's a really good point. We just talked about the free market and letting companies yeah. in the market <laughs> decide, and here we are. Yeah. By the way, Robert, uh, thank you so much to Robert uh, Klauko, who says, uh, for your super chat, he says, finally got to see this live. Um, seeing a good amount of that, so I appreciate appreciate that feedback. Yeah, so th th this is what I I don't think the future is going to involve politicians very much because their their time in the sun when we needed what they could provide, which was to force people to do things, is kind of over. We we act differently now. Now we are kind of a, a social aware creature that lives on Twitter, and <laughs> we hold ourselves to account in different ways. So, like for example, if you imagine an ad where Microsoft says, our data centers, our entire company is carbon, forget carbon neutral, we're carbon negative. Like using our stuff means you're actually like making the air cleaner. And then you have some other company that isn't doing that. That The optics of that alone is enough. And that's incredibly cool. Like the, the people, especially as young people are getting older now and you know, entering the voting block, that that we have to now act this way. We can't just let companies do whatever they want uh, and not worry about the environmental impact of what they do, which historically has been how we've operated. So this is really cool. You know that Apple Spaceship Campus is covered in solar. <laughs> the entire roof is just a solar panel. And they talk about how like the entire site is carbon neutral. They have like storage on site and stuff. And even their stores and, and increasingly their entire operation, which is far beyond that Spaceship Campus, it's every data center and every little um, retail location and different office building. So a lot of companies are making this pledge and nobody will get there faster than tech companies because, I mean, they just they have so much money and they're they're on that cutting edge of being more eco-friendly or eco-conscious, if you will. Mm -hmm. So this probably is the avenue that will take us there. I think the regulations to ban banning things, <laughs> ban, banning natural gas or petroleum won't matter nearly as much as this. So that's yeah. really cool that Amazon's doing that. Yep. So the next story, the last story, I think you're appropriate to take this one. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of companies with a conscience, there's probably no greater example of that than Salesforce. Um, a lot of you guys probably know I worked at Salesforce for, for the past five years and they're actually taking things to another level where they're trying to even reduce the carbon emissions in their supply chain. So one of the things that they've done uh, that they've done a good job of is releasing like re uh, sustainability reports. They take this really seriously, and what they're trying to do is use what their platform they have. They have this really nice like CRM customer relationship management platform that now extends to far beyond that, and really is at the center of a lot of companies' um, entire backbone infrastructure. So. Really big companies like Coca-Cola use Salesforce to roll out 
how they ship packages and or you know huge crates of of supplies their last mile deliveries a lot of that stuff and so they are in an interesting position where they get to see some of the big players and their data and one of the real selling points of, of Salesforce is that if you use everything that Salesforce provides, all your data is in one place, allowing you to add intelligence to, to every part of, part of that. Uh, they mentioned here that you know, they're, they're very um, keen on keeping the, the global temperature rising. Uh, right now, you know, we've already seen and blown through most of the, the horizons that people have set for ourselves. But... Um, uh, by the way, a little fun fact, my last days before I left Salesforce, Salesforce is also working with the Irish government on their vaccine rollout. So uh, logistics is becoming a backbone kind of tenant of what Salesforce provides. So um, I, I, that's like life or death stuff. So I remember I, I had to fix this bug on something and it's like literally life or death, which typically in software is not the case. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is going to be how I think companies in the future are going to assess and to um, provide value in terms of sustainability. They have this data. They see how you operate. They can provide like optimizations. A lot of companies do this on their own as well. You're, you're probably familiar with like the UPS right-hand turning rule. All mm -hmm. their routes are always right turns. Air, airline companies and freight companies are, are obsessive about logistics and stuff. But um, this is really cool. What, what, what's your take? I, I want to say one more thing, but I, I'm kind of curious what, you wanna, what your take is. I love this. It's like it, it, it fits so well with the previous story to me because it's like this is taking what other companies are doing, like just snapping up renewable energy generation, and this is taking it a step further where they're kind of helping to kind of force and encourage their supply chain to also go green. And it's that, what is it called? The scope three emissions, which is all things that are outside of your direct operations. So it's things like right. travel, waste supplies, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's like, I, I didn't even know that we track that. I know. It's like the fact that they are thinking that far outside of their own influence. It's like they're using their size and scope to help influence smaller players and smaller suppliers to also go along with them, which has huge ramifications. It's going to help everybody to kind of go green. And so kind of going back all the way back to the Florida story, it's like all these three tie together to me because it's like money makes the world go round. And th this is another example of here's a company using its weight to do something really substantial, not just for themselves, but also for their suppliers and to kind of kind of put their money where their mouth is, essentially. It's I, I love this. Why did you leave the company? A, Why did you leave that company? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, was, uh, it was to see more of you, Matt, uh, to be honest. Um, it, they really are one of the most amazing companies on earth. If there's anybody watching who's in the tech space and you're kind of thinking about the next company to work at, um, you got to go talk to Salesforce. They are absolutely amazing. I couldn't have imagined raising my kids in the last five years without without them. They're a like family first company. They care about you and your health um, above all else. It's an incredibly um, unique take. A lot of Silicon Valley companies are not like that. <laughs> They're mm -hmm. mostly made for like single guys in their twenties who just burn out and work mad hours and get free ice cream or something stupid like that. Um, this is a far better approach. But they're they're a trendsetter. If you if you remember when I, a couple of years before I started, they started an initiative called One One One, which was donating one percent of their profits, one percent of their time, meaning all of their employees were encouraged to volunteer. So we were given, I think by the time I left, it was seven days a year to volunteer. It was a normal day of work. 
You tell your boss, I'm going to go to the soup kitchen and do this. I'm going to go to the Humane Society and do this. I'm going to uh, check with some dogs and play with some shelter dogs that, that are, uh, you know, don't, don't have an owner. And it was a, your normal day of work. You just got a paycheck like usual, and you could do that seven times a, a, a month, which translated to about 1% of, of, of your time. And the final part was 1% of their products. So they offer 1% of all their licenses or free licenses to nonprofits and things like that. Um, so many companies in the tech, in the Valley followed their their path when they did that. Uh, thank you, Bill Abar, for the super chat. Uh, we appreciate you. So Salesforce is a really influential company. And their, their, their CEO, Mark Benioff, is one of my favorites. One of my goals, I told all my, all my coworkers when I left, is I will be sending you all an email when I when I get a sit down with Mark Benioff to interview him because he's he's an incredible dude. I, it, to be a billionaire and to care so much about everything he does, there's like a Mark Benioff Ocean Institute and a children's hospital, and the, he he does tons of stuff with like public schools in the SF area. Um, the dude is incredible. He really is, and it, it, it's reflected really well in his company. And they have the power to influence companies like this. When you say that Salesforce did this you'll be shocked at how people will line up to kind of follow suit to get that same publicity and to be on the on the right side of history, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an awesome story. This uh, next one is what, the one I've been waiting for. Are you, are you taking <laughs> this, this one? Yeah, I'll take this one. <laughs> this last one uh, kind of kills me. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, so NASA is uh, working with Tide to make the first ever laun- laundry detergent for astronauts. And part of the reason I put this on the, the board was I found it fascinating, I did not know this, that the astronauts can't do laundry in space, so they wear clothes until they stink so bad that you can't take it anymore, and then they dispose of them. And one of the ways they dispose of them is they basically put them in a capsule and eject them into space so that they burn up on reentry. That's how bad it is, <laughs> um, which, which just kills me. And then the uh, other side of it was some of the scientists uh, that have gotten clever by using like an old pair of like underwear to use it as kind of a recycled process to help kind of seed his basil that he was growing. So it's like, that's disgusting. That is disgusting. It's amazing, but it's disgusting. But here's where it gets really fascinating is that Tide is working with them to come up with ways to wash their clothes like on the space station, the International Space Station, without needing water. And one of the reasons for that is you can't have a washing machine. Water's scarce, obviously. You can't just use it. So that's no water, and they can't use like a washing machine because if they used a washing machine on the space station, it could throw them off their trajectory, (laughs) which is just (laughs) insane. And then the other thing they're working on is low water usage. So they're working, they're going to be sending low gravity washing machines and dryers when they build the moon base. So this is all about being on the moon or on Mars to use very low water usage for cleaning clothes. So they're kind of taking two different approaches. Here's why this matters. It sounds ridiculous, but it matters because if they find good ways to actually effectively clean clothes with no water or low water, that's going to impact all of us going into the future because we could then have washing machines and dryers and things like that that use very little or no water which is going to become a scarce resource on our planet in the future. So it's like we need to conserve our resources. So this could actually have a long-term impact on the earth, which is why I just thought the story was just funny and fun. There's so many little things you never think about, right? We take for granted, like gravity. Typically, we think of gravity as like this pain we have to overcome. But it does make things like this nice, like to go to the bathroom, right? Gravity is your friend when you need to go to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> 
a luxury that they don't have. I, this isn't, I had not thought about washing your clothes. <laughs> you know, we were talking about this. There's no like, like bacteria and mold and algae out in space like there is on earth, right? So potentially your clothes wouldn't need to be washed as often. Uh, but you mentioned before the call that most astronauts report kind of a funk in the in the space and the ISS just from the fact that yeah you don't just have like Febreze and aromatherapy candles you can't just light a candle you know so yeah. Yeah. One, it can get pretty the, uh, he called it the stank funk <laughs> it's like I never thought about this that the ISS probably stinks it's probably disgusting the yeah and funk. the I think the best part of this story is that the the spinning washing machine potentially <laughs> changing their their trajectories with with the motion. That's so funny. Yeah. So this gets to a question that we I get very often, and this actually I get this question from uh, conservatives, like all political uh, view viewpoints, which is why spend money in space? We have so many problems on Earth. If we stop the wars and stop all the space spending, we could just end poverty, you know, or, or cure uh, hunger, um, which makes sense. I, I don't know how, you know, that, that's a different topic. But this is the sort of thing where when you spend money on space, you figure out real, just like you said, Matt, you figure out really cool things that are utterly crucial there that, I mean, we'd, we have water, so we could use water. But if there was an alternative to a low water uh, way to clean your clothes or new kinds of clothes that had copper mesh in them or something that was more antimicrobial or something. There's probably some break that will happen, right? And we'll make that, we'll cover that story when it, when it does happen. Yeah. But fascinating yeah. stuff. We'll see you all next week at 11 Pacific, 2 o'clock Eastern and whatever, whatever <laughs> else you are. Yeah. yeah, so same time as what he just said. And also don't forget that we do have an audio version that you can catch up with at any point on viceversa.show. And as always, thanks so much for watching. We'll see you in the next one.